1: for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Brad. Yes. Do you know how we fund the program, Going Off Track?
4: I know exactly how we fund it. There's one source of income for us, and that is patreon.com slash goingofftrack, where our loving patrons give us money, and we give them bonuses.
1: Patreon? Stop making up words. <laughs> it's a great place. We do a weekly Thursday night fireside chat, Brad takes all the embarrassing things I say in podcasts that he doesn't put into podcasts and puts it on the Patreon. Funny pictures of Brad in the 90s, usually naked or wearing a wristband. Please sign up. Brad, what's the address?
4: Patreon.com slash going (laughs) off track.
1: Hi Brad. Hey, I'm here. Hey Brad. Guess what? <laughs> um you
4: joined the Boy Scouts of America.
1: Ooh, no. But I did look it up the other day to remember that their motto is always be prepared. It's a good motto. It's I use it a lot
4: big. and I was not a Boy Scout.
1: <laughs> so, what's actually happening is I'm on antibiotics oh. for a for a tick bite. No way. Yeah, another one got me. Uh, did you uh. get a
4: thing? Did you get a circle, a ring?
1: Yeah, so I I got bit, you know, I was uh, taking a shower. I was like, oh, what's this? stuff? Oh, there you go. You know, grabbed it real fast, threw it down the drain. I'm pretty sure I got all of it. Tiny little guy. Yeah. And then, yeah, I was like uh, just itchy for a couple days, and then I got that corresponding ring. And I was like, oh, cool. So... I uh made some calls, got on some antibiotics to try to uh avoid it. But here's the point to this, okay? It's not for a pity. To freak me out because I fucking hate ticks. They're weird, but this is part of it is like, is there a more perfect human assassin like mm. in the world no. than a tick? No. Like what a it's almost as if it was designed for the exact intention of what it does, you know, like we're going to make it tiny that you can't even see it. It can just fit in the nooks of your like soft, fat human body, you know, it so easily gets in. And then if it manages to bite you, this tiny thing can literally like paralyze you and give you these diseases. And when I think about it, it kind of leads to like a bigger thing for me, which is like You know, you add up them, mosquitoes, poison ivies, allergies, all sorts of different, uh, you know, serpents and biters, like all throughout the ground that can, you know, get you and unsuspecting. It's treacherous out there, Brad. (laughs) And treacherous to the point that when I like lay it out all like this, I'm like, oh, like we're under attack. And we're not supposed to be here, maybe. And the older I get, I maybe lean into the fact that we're not from this planet a little bit more. Because why would it be? Why would it be trying to take us out so hard? You have it exactly wrong. You have it exactly
4: Ooh. wrong. And I'm going to tell you. Tell me why. I am a very um, non-religious person. Mm-hmm. Sort of. You could say I'm vehemently opposed to organized religions. I do have a very strong faith, and I do believe that there is one true religion that is completely provable, has a real goddess that you can see and touch, and it is Gaia, the Earth Mother. Yes. You know, she fulfills, like, every description of God that anybody has ever come up with. And, like, mm-hmm. not only that, but it's a living organism and has, you know, its own, its own immune system. Right and this is white blood cells dude are mosquitoes and ticks
1: she's getting a little itchy yeah we're like so where are the germs where are the disease where, where are bacteria the bacteria
4: and in a certain you know to for and we're fine and we're actually healthy up to a certain point point. and she's getting a little itchy man
1: right
4: and right. uh she's releasing some white blood cells to kind of clean
1: things up all right so let me i i get that and i think it's cool and I mostly agree with what you're saying fundamentally. The thing that makes me go maybe another way is the fact that there's like no other species on the planet dealing with the things we're dealing with. So your mother Gaia is is either very specifically angry with us <laughs> and trying to get rid of us. Yeah, exactly. Or we like jumped on this planet. And now she's trying to shake it off, like like fleas off a dog. Because it's not like a deer is out in the forest and he's like, oh, yeah, I got the poison ivy again, you know? But deer do get Lyme disease. They do
4: get ticks and, right. and Lyme disease. They get ticks. Animals do.
1: Yeah. That's true. My dog does have allergies.
4: But yeah, I guess we both could actually be right that we do come from off planet and this is her immune system.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the wormhole I went down when uh, I got a tick <laughs> bite tick. recently. God, I hate So this. I'm on the antibiotics. I'm on the probiotics. If anyone can think of any more <laughs> biotics I need to be on to not get Lyme's disease, <laughs> lay it on me. But uh, yeah, what are you going to do? I'm sure I'll be fine. C'est Try not to make a big deal out of it, you know? It's a good attitude. Thanks, pal. So uh, we had uh, the Rat Boys on. Yeah, fun. Julia and Dave. Very pleasant. Very, very pleasant. I was looking forward to it because I'm uh, doing the research for this. And I'm like, oh, these, these seem like very pleasant people to talk to. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. And a really good group. I actually was like, they're one of those bands that I got thrown off by their name a long time ago. Like right. someone they <laughs> Like they went on tour with someone I was friends with like years ago. And I was like, oh, it's a cool name. I'm like, but I'm just assuming they're like snotty and young and either too indie or too like punk for me, you know? (laughs) So so there's, so there's kind of like, oh, okay. Like, I'm sure they're super cool, but too cool for me at this point, you know? And then I finally stumbled on some tracks. And my first instinct being old was I, I heard like Juliana Hatfield. Oh, and, okay. And, you know, and like the Juliana Hatfield 3 record, which, you know, every indie rocker at some point in the mid 90s had a huge Juliana Hatfield thing because she was on those Lemonheads records. Right. Loved. And, uh, you know, I heard the voice and kind of the feel of the whole thing. And it kind of gave me, yeah, a little bit of like Juliana Hatfield musically, like a little like sidekicks or something like that. Just that really like nice kind of hi fi indie rock stuff. But yeah. then, like, as the progression goes through the years, you know, you're seeing a lot more breadth to it, like all this steel guitar, which kind of gives it a country feel, the newer stuff. Well, the newer record, not the newer songs, having all this fuzz and making it spacier. So it's definitely a band. I'm uh, looking forward to their journey, especially after again to talk to Julie and Dave a little and seeing how kind of thoughtful and intrinsic, you know, the, the music actually is and the songwriting lyricism. So looking forward to the, uh, to the pack. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's listen to the interview. It was fun. Let's do it. We are
4: recording now. So, so
1: in case you missed it, you know, everybody, <laughs> we were just talking about horns and if having <laughs> horns would be good or not. I don't know. I think, What's a good practical application to growing an actual horn on your head? Uh, protection. Self-defense, right? for sure. Self-defense. Um, you could hang things on it.
3: Yeah. You could it open could like, open some boxes, you know? Yeah.
1: You'd, you'd never need like a pocket knife. Nope. Um, you could make it like kind of ornamental, like really cool, like jewelry and stuff. Um, yeah. Hmm.
4: It might help you keep uh socially distanced from others
1: <laughs> that's true too <laughs> there you go <laughs> man i run i've run into this problem again already brad i I took my child to like a track and field thing yesterday, you know and i I haven't had too many opportunities to be in the presence of like a lot of other parents and stuff yet, and i seriously i felt like. I felt like the chubby kid with too many earrings at the like school lunch table again. <laughs> I felt really weird, man. I don't know if I do it to myself or I'm just a freak, but I don't know. I don't know what to do with these people. I'm, I'm looking around. I'm like, shit. I'm the only one here in black jeans, Benny. Uh, like, like, should I get some Under Armour shit to like wear to these? Dude, take,
4: just re- you know, just revel in it because you know what? Uh, someday. Someday you're gonna be a norm, just like everybody else, dude. Oh, yeah. stop it. <laughs>
1: I don't think I'm ever gonna settle into the middle like that. Oh, uh, I'm such a norm, a dude. Place. I feel
4: like such an. I felt like that. If I think in the early days of being a parent, mainly because I just found that all the other parents were so square, like right. Or just norms, and I'm like, aren't any cool people breeding? And like, and then you kind of come to terms with like your new friends,
1: <laughs> and, you still, and you still have your old friends. But uh, so you just get lulled to sleep, that, and then you just wake up in vineyard vine shit. You just one day. wake
4: up and you're like a dad.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm a total
4: norm you- now, dude. I, I like, I mean, I look at my sneaker collection. I'm like, I would never have worn any
1: of this shit, like
4: even ten years ago. Wow.
1: Well, you also have the New York City, like, thing to live up to. Like, when you leave the house and you live in Manhattan, you know, like, you're probably trying to still look kind of cool.
4: I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I don't want to look like a total douche, but I don't leave the house in sweatpants.
1: (laughs) Julia, where do you land on this? Do you consider yourself through the course of your life, like, closer related to... To Norms or Freaks?
3: Uh, That's a really good question. I mean, well, I have like very little fashion sense. So as far as that goes, (laughs) I'm probably closer to Norm. I love like uh, wearing like jerseys and stuff (laughs) like like sports stuff. And that is uh, as far as like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of musicians have really cool like stage outfits and stuff like that. And Mm. I kind of judge myself against those people. And I'm like, damn, I need to. I need to step up my game, but
1: mm. uh, well, you got yeah. kind of the Robert Smith going on. If you're doing the jerseys, there
3: you go. You know? Yeah, see, I, and I just feel comfortable. I love repping a team, you know. Yeah. But i I was never good at sports, so I always enjoyed just like wearing the stuff, even though I, you know, could never ever sure. <laughs> play. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm probably closer to a norm if I'm being honest. I <laughs> I like lots of norm stuff, but I mean, I, I just everyone's got a little freaky side too, so.
1: It's so you say, like, the people who have, like, the cool... Who, are, who do you think has, like, the coolest style that you look up oh, on stage man. and you're just like, oh, man, they got it going on?
3: Man, probably, like... I mean, Mitski always wears crazy stuff. Mm. Even, like, uh, like I don't know if you guys know half Wafe at all or, like, uh, Charlie Bliss has crazy... Like, oh, Eva yeah. from Charlie Bliss uh-huh. has crazy awesome outfits. And that's the thing. I've never, like, been... One to kind of just play dress up in my room. Uh, <laughs> right, right. I mean, I no, I'm not. No disrespect. I just it's just never really been my thing. So like, I doesn't come naturally to me. But someday might be cool to uh, I don't know
1: experiment a little bit. Who knows? But so, yeah, go okay i Hey, it's uh, yeah. I bro, feel please, like when,
4: when you're in a band, <laughs> like if you're in a band and you and you look like a total norm, that's like a, a thing. That's it's cool. a good. It's a good sign. Yeah, it's like. It's like, yeah, because everybody else is, a, try, is trying their best to be a freak, right? And like, yeah. and plus you've got instant cred just being in a, I mean, a band that's actually, you know, touring and putting out records. Like,
3: yeah, I just, I am spending too much time, you know, on Google Maps, figuring out where we're going and, you know,
4: <laughs> right?
1: yeah.
3: loading in. I don't have as much time to, you know, prep my looks, but. That's actually <laughs> right.
1: something I was going to ask you later that, okay. you know, since it came up now, I, I'd like to, like. You know I've been on tour with a lot of women, and it is uh significantly not as significantly but it's a different experience in a couple of ways and yeah. I wanted to ask like what's something a man just simply can't understand about touring as a woman
3: huh. um i mean it's a that's a good question, and honestly, like God, I haven't been on tour in a while, so the right. memories aren't really fresh but um I don't know like. Maybe just, well, I don't know if this is being a woman or if it's just uh, being a human being, but, like, personal space is kind of just a thing that kind of goes out the window on tour. Even, like, uh, I don't know, just had lots of, like, creepy, like, uh, guys, like, stagehands working venues, like, touch the small on my back, stuff like that. It's like, ah, like, you know, just, just don't. Or, like, I don't know, even... Not to be gross, and this is just a part of humanity in general, but you know, your time in the month doesn't magically disappear because yeah, you're on tour. Sure. And that I have some memories of just like being slightly indisposed, like right before we went on or something. I was just like, oh god, like at least no one in the crowd knows what's going on,
1: but right,
3: but I mean, that's the thing when you have supportive bandmates and you can just be honest about all of your you know daily lives and bodily functions and all that stuff not to be gross i mean you know no it's you're, you're yeah, a team it so yeah. it's it's good stuff
1: no that's something everybody has to deal with yeah. I, I mean i think that I'll, the, the thing i wonder i've i i feel bad sometimes when i've toured with women cuz i'm like the only way to adapt to this is to kind of do like functionally like what are normally like male things like just by being like fucking gross sometimes, <laughs> you know like like i'm gonna have to go three days without a shower, oh like, yeah, three days without cleaning myself up right, you know what I mean, like having to brush my hair in a couple and things like that, and you know i guess uh there's like a a level of of maintenance that yeah. just like yeah it's it's so tough to get sometimes, especially when you're doing kind of touring you all didn't do it.
3: Totally. I, I'm right there with you. Like I I think that kind of transcends gender at a certain point because oh, that's yeah. just it's just part of being a road dog. Like, God, you just gotta take the hand you're dealt sometimes. So as <laughs> far as right. showering goes. So it's a yeah, that's a universal experience for sure.
1: Sure. My wife asked me this question this morning I thought it was interesting. It was like, you know, we always talk about like varying forms of intelligence and like you know, the fact that you don't necessarily have to be academically smart or, uh, educated to be in a touring band, Mm. but there are other aspects of intelligence like you would need to have, like, what do you think are, are different skills or aspects of intelligence you need to be like a happy road dog?
3: Oh, that's a really good question. I think, well, it kind of depends what your role is in the band, uh, like how much those things are shared but That's like true, yeah. personally i do a lot of driving and general navigational instincts are very important
2: <laughs> sure um, yeah. just yeah.
3: like and even time management is like an important right. thing like yeah. how much time can we realistically spend at this rest stop like not going to like rush people while they're doing their thing but you know you kind of have to plan things ahead and sure it's uh even just like the art of having a an efficient positive conversation at the merch table is mm. so important cuz you never want people to feel like they're being rushed or not right. listened to but you also need to like leave at a certain point so well it,
1: that's where uh, there's like a social intelligence involved yes. right where not only with your you know your fans but also like within the band and the people who you know, are working for the band you need to have that aspect right
3: yeah the emotional intelligence of kind of being able to pick up on someone's moods like being able to kind of preempt the situation before someone is having like that's right a meltdown or or just like you know communicating is a huge that's a skill that takes time to you know like get better at so uh i think yeah that's some sort of like super sensory intelligence just being able to read the room
1: a little bit but yeah yeah, i think you nailed the biggest part of it which is I think the best bands are the ones who know each other so well that you can preempt yeah. the things, you know? Yes. You're like, oh, this one's about to, this one's about to have a bad day. Like,
3: yep. And it, like, it has taken, it took, I, I feel confident that we've gotten there now where we like are at the level where we have those conversations immediately instead of letting it simmer. But like, right, right. it took years to kind of, learn that lesson, like it's better to just be like, Hey, are you okay? Like immediately, instead of just like not (laughs) saying anything. So, And this is the
1: first, uh, you know, this is the first time you've had a very solidified lineup for, for like an extended period. Right.
3: Yeah, totally. Totally.
1: So so is that part of it? Just like, you know, you, you and Dave have obviously known each other quite a while, but is it like getting the others kind of, ingratiated into the whole the whole feeling of it
3: yeah yeah i'd say so i
1: luckily
0: enough uh marcus oh and dave sean, you're there yes i joined what's up y'all i was gonna say luckily enough sean and marcus were already road dogs at the beginning too
1: oh <laughs> uh, so you didn't you didn't have to do like road dog training at all <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah
3: yeah yeah marcus is a little bit he's like a year older than us and he's been playing in touring band since he was like 18 um and sean is a little bit younger than us but same thing he's just been like doing it and also he just like lives to tour he like loves it and so and in general they're just like the most uh like agreeable flexible people like we just got very lucky getting to play with them because uh yeah we've played with a lot of people over the years. I'm not saying the other people we played with weren't like that, but sure. um, yeah, we kind of stumbled into this really healthy dynamic and definitely don't take that for granted because we have had some crazy times uh, on the road. But yeah, we, I was just uh, making a zine a few weeks ago to like package with this new record we just put out. And oh, nice. Cool. I made a, a page for it called The Tale of Ten Drummers because we've toured with ten different drummers, and wow. uh, you're like spinal yeah. tap now. I yeah. know. <laughs> they're just they're just uh, spontaneously combusting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was either that it, or
0: trading cards. Exactly.
3: I, I made it look like little Pokemon cards with like their powers and stuff. It was fun.
1: <laughs> you guys, should maybe like a backdrop on stage should be like retired jerseys. <laughs> All That's the old such a
3: good idea. I yes. love that. We've thrown yeah. around ideas of like bringing all the drummers onto a very special, like, episode, <laughs> like, live stream episode or something. I don't know.
1: A Blue Man Group style <laughs> rap voice. Yeah, yeah man. Little, Drummer, little varsity
0: letters would be so fun. Oh,
1: yeah. 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 So, wait, Dave. So, where maybe some Notre Dame action, I guess, considering the history of the band? Oh, maybe. Hmm. You just Perhaps. need to find
0: like uh, the shiny cloth material. yeah yeah, the high school gymnasium uh banner material who does that in chicago let's see
1: it's so crazy that they gave those jackets to kids like in the summer you know yeah here's a bunch of wool and leather you know
2: yeah
3: Mm. dave where are you are you good
1: yeah, I'm uh, I'm downstairs, uh in front of my computer. Nice. And you're both in Greater Chicago? Yeah. Oh no, you Julia, you said you're currently in in Kentucky.
3: I am indeed.
1: So have you been holing up there during the pandemic or have you been in Chicago?
3: No, yeah. I've been in Chicago the whole time. I just uh came down here yesterday oh, cool. uh, to spend a week with my grandpa now that we're both fully vexed. Awesome. Yeah. It's good stuff.
1: um I didn't know until I heard your song go outside and saw the video that people in Chicago went to the beach and there's like, (laughs) there's like beach culture in Chicago on the lake. This actually happens? Like what's the deal there?
3: Yeah. Well, um, we don't really, we're kind of posers in that regard. We're like, (laughs) we don't live very close to the lake. We actually live quite far from the lake. So It's almost more of like traveling out of town for us because we, uh, it's like a trip, you know.
0: Well, if if you're like if you live in Chicago and you want to go to the beach, if you're smart, then you'll just go to Indiana because they have clean beaches there. Okay, there's
3: fewer people, but yeah, there's like the shoreline of Lake Michigan has like stretches of sandy beaches, all like basically the city kind of. You know, butts up to the lake, and yeah. so there are these beaches, and they're all public and free, and uh, actually really nice. There's like some really nice sand volleyball areas, and there's like a, a bird sanctuary. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty. Like it's a uh, it's beautiful. It's almost like a little microclimate too. It's it's pretty uh,
1: ideal, you know.
0: Yeah, the summers are so much different than <laughs> than any other
1: season. Right, it gets like painfully hot there, too, as well, right? Mm-hmm.
3: yeah, kind of humid, but it's better than the alternative you know like polar vortex life, so <laughs> right
1: so I mean, want you guys uniquely um I mean, I guess there's a bunch of bands who fell into this, but you had uh printer's Devil came out on what february twenty eighth of twenty twenty yeah um. So, you know, when you were, like, leading up to that date, uh, you know, ha- ha- were you feeling pretty confident that this, you know, the things we were hearing in, like, Italy and things like that were just going to, oh, okay, it won't be as bad here. We'll get our record out. Or w- at what point were you starting to feel a little murky about all of it? Oh,
0: yeah. Mm, well. kind of. I feel like it rushed up on us, kind of. I feel like when Tom Hanks got it, that's when... uh
1: the world started burning. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was there was a strange A.B. there, wasn't there? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that was March 11th. I'll never forget that night. That's the night the NBA yeah. shut down. Rudy um,
1: Gobert Day.
3: Yes, exactly. And that was so surreal. I remember we were dog-sitting, Dave and I were, and we were at our friend's apartment watching their dogs, and we were just like... We were actually supposed to go to a show that night and I mm-hmm. ended up bailing. I gave some, you know, bullshit excuse, but it was really cuz I was freaking out. I was like, "Oh my god, this is, <laughs> this is like actually very dangerous and it's happening here, but uh, to answer your question, like we I remember we played a show at the University of uh, Wisconsin the week before The Record came out and I was like that gave me a lot of confidence like, you know, college shows usually kind of suck. But, um, at least in our experience, but, uh, it was actually kind of a great show. Like, 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 I don't know, 50 or 60 kids were there and we were like, whoa, like this has never happened to us. Like we've, you know, there are people here. This is great. And, uh, I was like, man, maybe this tour is like going to be great. Like maybe people are going to come to these shows and we had just, we've never headlined. So we didn't really know what to expect, but that was like a very good sign. And then we played the two release shows the next weekend. It went great. Like, I think they both sold out, which is so awesome. And then the night after the second release show, it was Leap Day, like that night. Yeah. We went out to a bar after to celebrate. And uh, I'll never forget, like, at the bar talking like, oh, yeah, like, things are pretty bad in Italy. But, like, maybe because we had a Europe tour planned in June. And we were like, maybe we'll just have to cancel the Italy shows, you know. Right, maybe we'll right. Maybe we'll just play you know, skirt around that region or whatever. And little did we know that like a week later it would just all kind of fall apart.
2: But
1: yeah, but we had
3: hope, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously it's like, you know, no control over a worldwide pandemic, just like (laughs) poor, uh, poor timing by the universe. But how, how quickly did you all start communicating about um You know, really wanting to keep like ahead of steam because it seems as if you never really got too down about it, and just kind of initially started working on some other avenues to to connect with your fans. Did did you have you know Twitch and paywall content and stuff prior to the pandemic, or was this all a a result of it?
2: Yeah, I
0: don't don't think we have ever uh, edited a video before (laughs) the pandemic. Like we jumped into. I'd, it just felt like that was the only thing we could do at that point. Just looking at, you know, what our year could have been and how to fill it up to kind of, you know, m- make the year not be a complete wash. Yeah. Like we, we just kind of dove into trying all this different stuff. I was always super curious about Twitch because of, um, you know, just like streamers and like the kind of surging popularity that platforms yeah, gotten. Sure. um
3: Dave tell the people about the uh the twitch streamer that you always watched before
0: oh <laughs> I always watch this page called salty bet okay, it's like uh, it's kind of like uh you you bet fake money on um kind of like street fighter style arcade fights but it could Ooh. be like it's all like custom made characters so it could be like Brian Griffin from family Guy versus <laughs> like uh Missing like Ronald no McDonald. Or Ronald McDonald. <laughs> yeah. It's a check it out. I highly recommend it. But um, um that's yeah. fun. Yeah, I don't know. Twitch always seemed to be like uh one one of the websites where like people could really like showcase that some unique art or like a unique kind of presentation. Sure. So that was what always draw drew me in about that.
3: Yeah. We like, I just want to add, we, we did not have a Twitch or anything like that before COVID. And, um, like we kind of got lucky because some of our friends, uh, started using Twitch to like do their own little virtual concert series oh, or cool. like yeah. we got invited. Like, I don't know if I would have do- like dove and dived into Twitch. <laughs> yeah stuff as, <laughs> as as quickly as we did without that kind of invitation sure because specifically our friend Ryan McKenna who uh, used to play in the band prawn uh-huh. right? well, oh, still, yeah. still does he uh he started he like made an app called social distance party that used twitch on the back end and he asked us if we'd want to play like a, oh, cool. a one-off show and he kind of through that process taught me how to use like OBS and The various things you need to to stream, and uh, once he taught me that, he kind of gave me a crash course. I was like, "Oh, like we already have a green screen. Like I could just buy a cheap webcam on Amazon, and we could do this like for free, you know, in our basement." So yeah, it all kind of came together really fast once I figured out, once Dave and I like figured out how
1: to do it.
0: There's a little learning curve, but we got it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, were, were you already um, like songwriting wise, were you under, um, ha, had you been uh, writing from distance prior to that where, you know, you would send each other um, demos and, and people had the ability to record their own parts at home?
3: Well, we're really lucky because Dave and I and Sean, our bass player, uh we all live together. So oh,
2: that, we are
3: like well, that under takes one out roof. A big
4: part. Yeah. Huge.
3: Absolutely. And we've oh, well. been in this house for like two and a half years now. And Marcus is the only one who's not living there, but he's married and like so they lived across town and they just recently bought a house in the burbs. But uh yeah, like so it was actually pretty easy because we uh, we were able to just keep going, like didn't really miss a beat. And that's just where we were lucky, like most bands don't have the luxury of seeing their bandmates all the time
1: every day. Yeah, pretty awesome. Um, yeah, there we
0: were a very there, lucky. there was a point where um like we didn't get together for a while just because things were looking so bad. So right. it was really nice to finally like w- when was it, Jules? Where w- when we started practicing again, like all like, together in person?
3: End of May, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was kind of like a rebirth moment. I feel yeah. like it felt really good to you know just play live music, even, even if it's just four of you together.
1: Sure. Yeah. And what's, what's songwriting like in that house? You know, if, if you're living together, uh, I mean, is it super organic? Like, you know, you're drinking coffee and someone's like, check out this riff or, uh, (laughs) or are people like really independently working on their own songs? Like how, how does a, a rap boy song come together in that house?
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of more linear than I don't know how other bands do it but it usually starts with like me playing guitar either by myself or just me and Dave jamming and just okay. coming up with a few different ideas
0: Julia usually comes comes to us with like the skeleton of everything and It's always like, oh, these lyrics are so bad. I'm like, Julia, you have like 90% of the lyrics right here. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty critical of myself. but It's like a uh, very
0: fleshed out skeleton that you bring to us, though.
3: (laughs) But I usually, I bring it to you, Dave. I bring it to you first. And if you like it, then that's my green light to keep working on it. Because like, Dave's taste and judgment is like highly respected like that is like my <laughs> that's my barometer you're giving you know? me a lot
0: of credit here it's
1: Your phone and friend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
3: dave is totally like my lifeline like he's like my kind of reassurance like oh yeah i like sure. this or like yeah. maybe let's try this instead or you know whatever so once i flesh it out show it to dave work on it more then i'll bring it to sean and marcus hopefully with like a voice memo to reference and right uh yeah then we mm-hmm. start working on all the parts
1: and have uh have you two um you know been at it you know so long uh specifically with each other is there like uh, a shorthand at this point in that writing process like can you just read like a look from Dave to be like oh okay he doesn't like this part
3: yeah
0: <laughs> I could definitely read a look from Julia um, during oh, yeah. practice yeah oh
3: geez yeah like, yeah <laughs> I I'm pretty notorious for like not uh, having, like, a good poker face
1: in those moments. (laughs) I feel you. I feel you.
3: Yeah. I
0: I mean, it's, yeah, there's, like, a a subtle understanding between us. But I think it's just important that we keep striving for, you know, new ideas and um, try to stay conscious of, like, kind of ripping off old Rat Boy's material.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. Not just, like, rehashing. Yeah. Mm
3: Mm-hmm. Totally. Trying to stay fresh.
1: And and what's your, Julia, what's your discipline like to sit down and writing? Are you a, um, you know, a, a creation uh, rushes you type? Or are you a, a grinder who kind of makes sure that you sit down and work every day?
3: I'm kind of uh, like.
0: A bit of both, some, I guess.
3: <laughs> I was going to say something like a third thing, like oh. definitely not like creation, I guess I'm never rushing to finish a song. Like, usually uh, I'll come up with an idea and then, like, record a little bit of it on my phone and then Mm. let it sit for, like, months or sometimes even years. Okay. And then, like, return to it and either naturally just playing again or going back through my voice memos. I, like, force myself to do that, like, twice a year. Like, Hmm. go through my voice memos and pick out, like, make a list of a few to work on yeah uh, it's
0: like pretty common just living in this house all together to to kind of hear the same riffs pop up like yeah. you know one week a little bit differently the next week mm. and um yeah every time you're like playing through those riffs you kind of have to decide the best thing for it um but yeah it definitely like kind of goes through a slow transformation so build
3: yeah slow slow journey of just uh I don't know, kind of hearing a part differently, but I'd say eighty percent of the time that's how it goes, and then twenty percent is me just like being able to write a song extremely quickly and being so stoked and surprised, like oh God, <laughs> right. this is, this happened really fast. So that yeah, doesn't happen yeah. as often, but it does happen sometimes. Like at the beginning of the pandemic, actually, it happened a few times, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> this is
1: dope!" Oh, where but, something came faster than than normal. Yeah, mm-hmm. you think that's a result of just like you know. some years in the game now you know where to kind of trust trust your instincts and where you're going more or did you just fall into it
3: (laughs) maybe i honestly still whenever that happens i just feel like i got lucky or like (laughs) some like gift from the sky fell (laughs) into my lap but yeah i that's a nice way to think of it though because yeah i i'm i think i've gotten a little bit better at not dragging my feet as much and like Kind of if an idea feels really good, just keep playing it like over and over. Even if it feels a little bit tedious, like it's usually extremely worth it. So
1: I find that one of the most valuable things in songwriting is just like listening to old songs and determining what you don't like.
3: Yes. You know, and
1: then when you're writing, it's kind of just like, oh, there's one of those. Let's let's not do that.
3: Yep. That's how I, I really feel strongly about lyrics with that too. Because mm. sometimes I listen back to these songs, I'm like, "Why are there so many fucking lyrics? Like,
2: <laughs> God,
3: too many words. Like, right. just stop. Like, edit. You know." So yeah, that's I, my goal now.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I heard something you were attempting to be like more concise in your messaging. Is how's yeah. how's that process going? Trying, yeah. definitely
3: trying. It's uh, it's tough too because sometimes, yeah, you have a very clear like, image, like, mental image or situation or message, yeah, that you want to, like, get across, but, uh, God, le- less is usually more, you know?
1: Yeah. A lot
0: of these songs and, uh, Julia's lyrics are just, like, stories, so they can get really literary. Right. And, you know, you yeah. need the words like that sometimes, but, um, I always think about, I think, um, Deerhoof, I think Greg from Deerhoof said mm. this, um, when they're writing and writing lyrics, especially they're always like considering the audience and, you know, considering that they love to tour the world. And that means like playing to people who don't understand English. Mm. Right. Right. And like, you know, being clear and to the point with uh, easy to understand words is I think really important in our songwriting.
1: Huh. That's interesting.
3: But I mean, at the same time, I like just singing, like, nonsense, so... <laughs> it's well, kind nice
0: yeah,
3: of nice to do both, you know? Like, I don't
0: know. You know, in Ireland, they sing the guitar solos. Right. Dude, they
1: do. I mean, there's do. only so much you could pander to, like, a, a central Austrian audience, you know? or something. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't
3: can, care at all.
1: Yeah, you like, can sing some really simple stuff, and they're still not with you, you know? Right. <laughs> <True,
3: laughs> yeah, like, I appreciate what Greg is saying, For sure. But at the same time, that's, yeah, that's never really entered into my mind when writing lyrics. It's more so just like, can someone hear this song once and like have any idea what's going on? And Mm. my goal is a little bit, you know, like I at least want there to be some lyric that like sticks out or just being like overwhelmed by just like quantity Mm. of lyrics is something that kind of bugs me when I listen back to some of our earliest songs. I'm like, oh God, like, just too many words,
1: but <laughs> quiet yeah. down, Julia. Yeah. Like you're I know. To yourself. Like, <laughs>
3: like play, you can play as loud as you want, but just maybe right. less words would be fine. <laughs> I
1: heard I heard you saying that you're attempting to write platonic love songs. Like oof. what what is that and, and and how's it going?
3: Oh man. It's I like, mean
1: uh, there's that one song that's like,
0: you're my best friend. Yeah,
3: it's well, like that. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's a funny, actually, because for Valentine's Day, uh, we wanted to do a, we do like a cover every month on our Patreon, and we wanted to cool. do, well, I wanted to do a song that was a love song, but like you said, not necessarily romantic love, like mm. it could be anything. And the one I really wanted to do was uh, You're My Best Friend by Queen.
1: Oh, beautiful S- song. Such a good song. Beautiful we couldn't,
3: song. we yeah. didn't end up doing that because I feel intimidated. I would never want to like, I don't know if I'd feel like, oh,
1: to I like sing Freddie? Yeah, yeah, fuck that. Like, I that's don't know, that's scary. So, <laughs> if no, there's anyone yeah. that's fucking scary, yeah,
3: yeah It's just like he's the goat for real. So, yeah, I, maybe uh,
1: today I don't, I, I'm not feeling very operatic, you know, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah,
3: truly. So, we ended up doing I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles, which is a great song, yeah, um, it's still great. and sure. similarly, kind of like wholesome, like, it's just very, right. yeah, uh, I don't know, I just, uh, I don't know. I feel like there aren't enough songs that kind of celebrate friendship and like the love that you have for your family is so important. Mm, And I feel like and even like love for your pets, things like that. You don't have to specify who you're, you know, talking about or or singing to. But uh, just leaving it a little bit open kind of allows for, you know, it doesn't have to be like you're so in love with something or someone. It's more that you just, you know, you love something so deeply. It can be, uh, I think, beyond the scope of traditional romantic love. So,
1: yeah, it is something really I cool. think about a lot. It makes me think Thanks. of that when, with that most, that most popular Get Up Kids song, uh, Oh, Amy, Don't Hate Me. Every, you know, everyone thought there was just a woman named Amy out there. That he was and it turned out to be their tour van, you know?
3: Oh yeah. yeah. That's and was, great. And like yeah. Pup Pup uh, has a song that's like about Stefan's oh, pet yeah, chameleon. His pet, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You would never know. It sounds like like a drug addict girlfriend or something. <laughs> right. But no. It's about his dying chameleon. It's so so pure. But. but I
1: like that. I like that in music. I mean there's so many it's almost like, uh, and I've seen people do it. I've seen people like sabotage their own relationships to even have something to write about. So <laughs> the idea that you can like connect to a real deep love and a deep empathy like through something else, I think that's cool. And it's probably good for artists.
3: Yeah, it's and it's nice because that stuff doesn't like go away. You know, that stuff like lasts if you're lucky mm. for your whole life. And so right. um, for instance, even like, For, you know, we have, like, this batch of new songs that we're working on for the next record. And, like, one of those songs, my goal was, like, I want to write, like, the most posy, like, happy love song ever. But, like, it doesn't have to be, like, for your boyfriend or your partner or whoever it can be, for anyone. But, because, like, you know, like, Dave and I have, we've been together for, you know, so long at this point. Those are kind of the aspects of a relationship that... I find myself wanting to celebrate the most is just the like friendship and the stability and dependability and like that, I don't know, just growing together. It's, it's fun to be able to sing about those things. And if you're lucky, like I said, it just keeps going. So yeah, I don't know.
1: There are many shades of love. <laughs> so true. You got to say that in a much deeper voice, like preferably like <laughs> Barry White-ish. So yeah, there it is. There it is. That's what <laughs> I needed. Uh, <laughs> Ooh,
0: so yeah. as and I was
1: reading. I I don't want to rub the salt in the wound about the fact that you released a record right before a pandemic again. So oh, it's
2: okay. I promise you that <laughs> this question,
1: us. this question will lead somewhere. Um, I saw that you had some shows booked with Wilco, who's one of uh. your. One of your idols. I'm sure they'll happen again. I'm sure you're on the very short list of bands Wilco wants to play with. So I trust this will happen for you. But I I had a larger question about it because I often think of Wilco as sort of like the model for a successful band, you know, in the way that they have so little mainstream radio success and mainstream like streaming success. But Wilco can go fill up, you know, arenas and play these major venues and keep their fan base really tightly intact. Um, is that part of your attraction to that band? And and what do you think like their trick is?
3: Man, well, I, yeah, they are probably my favorite band. When we nice. got invited to do those shows, I like, seriously, I could feel like my blood pressure go up like in the moment. I was like, uh-huh. oh my God, That's <laughs> awesome. it's so cool. Um, and it was actually, those shows were going to be really unique because, uh, they were in like big venues and they wanted Dave and I to play as a two piece. So it was going to be like really stripped down and kind of us playing very quietly to a lot of people. And we haven't really ever had that opportunity. So, but like I said, like you said, hopefully it'll happen someday, Mm. but yeah, I, I mean, they, it's funny you mentioned that they kind of are a model, like role, definitely role models for us because just even the way they structure their business, which isn't what you want to think about really when you talk about music, but like, uh, yeah, they make a living like, and they own their own studio and have this cache of gear. And like, they, it seems like, a. obviously Jeff is like the band leader, but everyone seems very, uh, like able to, express themselves and like everyone kind of has a voice within the group and uh everyone just seems very content to work with one another and Mm -hmm. uh their working relationships and the way that they've been so sustainable is and yeah they've one more thing i'll say is they like they toured like and still do tour but they like toured for so long they kind of built a fan base where they would go back to des moines and like see you know rodney and the crowd and you know, like kind of see familiar faces right. at each show. And that's 100% the way that we try to like grow our band. So,
0: yeah, it's like um, it's easy to see kind of what we want our band to become in Wilco. Right. It, and it just seems like an empire that they founded, like a small empire that they founded very organically. They made it like a bunch of mistakes. You could tell from like the whole band lore. Right. But, uh, yeah, they figured it out. They're Yeah, the business side and the music is super inspir- inspirational.
1: Yeah, he's cool. And you're right. I mean, there's like this operational thing to Wilco that feels almost, I guess, for me, coming out of like the punk rock scene. I I just appreciate bands who do things the way they do it. It's not that they've totally avoided, you know, labels and and some side of the corporate thing. You can't. Totally avoid that. But I really appreciate a band who goes out of their way to connect with their fans, even when they get bigger, own their own stuff, um, be able to monetize, you know, touring smartly and correctly. Like there's sort of a cool, cool punk rock element, I think, to what they're doing.
0: Yeah, they know how to, you know, stay true to them, themselves. And also Nels Klein, shout out, I love Nels Klein.
1: <laughs> Little Wilco appreciation. So this is a good time, just to break it up. I like to do a section of the show called "Mystery Friend." on
2: thinking
1: And the point of the point of the game is that I'm going to prompt you on a story, something fun that happened, uh, and you need to tell me the story, the details. And guess which one of your mystery friends told me? Love it. Now I heard about a night you had, I believe in Buffalo, and I've heard about uh, a marathon bowling session with many pitchers of Molson Canadian. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> and and apparently it got pretty hot and crazy. Can you tell me about this evening?
3: Yeah, man. We uh, we went bowling with Pup and Casper Skulls. <laughs> uh in buffalo on an off on an off day and
1: bowling in buffalo
3: bowling in buffalo what magic i i gotta be honest though I, and this is like my biggest like grinch you know feature i just hate bowling like i hate it and you didn't uh, bowl. <laughs> i did but i uh hated every minute of just joking um no i i love <laughs> being around other people bowling and i right i like drinking the beer i like the sound but uh, just lifting that heavy ball over and over <laughs> isn't my favorite. But that was a great night. We got uh, pretty toasty. It was really fun. And uh, <laughs> Pup's merch manager, Steph, who is like an angel, she's my favorite person. She, she got exceptionally toasty that night and uh, okay. was just yelling the most insane profanities all over the place. It was and,
0: a <laughs> true Philly.
3: Yeah, Philly uh, moment yeah.
1: for sure. Right, right. <laughs> you get a Philadelphia and drunk in Buffalo. You never know what's going to happen. It's so true. <laughs> so who ended up kind of wait, Julie? Are you the person who's like on the bowling team and people are actually being competitive, and you just kind of like phone it in and like toss the ball like gingerly down and don't care?
3: No, I mean like oh I, yeah, I try, right?
1: Okay. That's how you get the
0: surprise strikes though. That yeah. is true.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is kind of my MO. I either throw a gutter ball or a strike. There's like no in between. And I'm trying every time to get a strike, but sure. I'm not very good. So I think that's part of the reason I don't like bowling is I just suck. So
1: there's no middle class in your bowling game.
3: None. So
1: So do you remember who be <laughs> who 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 proved victorious? This well,
3: night? Dave, you can speak to this too. It was a a big battle between Steve from Pup, their guitar player, and Sean, our bass player. They're both very good, and so
0: yes, I think those are the two most competitive people on that tour package.
1: True. And do you remember who who reigned uh, who reigned supreme? I think
3: Steve won. I'm pretty sure, but everyone was rooting against him. It was kind of funny. Everyone was like,
1: oh, booing, really? <laughs> booing him. It yeah, it was, was just, he just coming in too hot, like too hot and competitive. People are like, all right, bring he, this guy down. He a is peg. so competitive and he
3: like, he kind of took it seriously and everyone was just enjoying like making him squirm. So even his bandmates <laughs> were just like booing him and shit. it was so funny. But yeah, I think he won. Uh, I think he overcame the haters and won.
1: Wow, he's like he really is like Kyle Lowry. He's he's a full on. <laughs> so That's true. Really funny. So true. So so speaking of which, can you take a stab at which mystery friend told me this?
3: I feel like it had to be Dan. Dan Case. No.
1: It's close. Close. You're in the right camp. Ah shit. Was it, it Steph? Julian? Bruce? <laughs> Bruce? It was the. I'll I'll just lay it because it's really funny that you told me who the semi-protagonist of this story was, because he's Steph? the one who told me. Oh, it was Steve. Steve! Oh, Steve. Amazing. Yeah. It, was, it was Steve Siklowski himself. Love and it. now it makes a lot more sense why this was such a flashbulb memory for him, because clearly he was really in the moment here.
3: Of course he was telling you about <laughs> the night that he won bowling. Right?
1: yeah. Never forgets a win. Of course. Oh, let me just choose the story of when I defeated <laughs> three other bands on tour. Of Amazing. course. Amazing.
3: <laughs> what a night
1: all right so you all shout out to steve for giving me that story and being a, a fine gentleman in, yes. in general um so you're both notre dame alumnus right uh yes. mm-hmm. so you're just general thoughts quickly on the film rudy Ooh. are we fans uh
3: have you seen that yeah.
1: for f- we're
0: not fans. yeah i have um it's just like so feel good. You gotta be in like a certain mood to watch it. Oh.
1: Uh, do you uh, need a little more like a little more sardonic to your story? You need you need like did you need about Rudy the, to like lose grit. a leg or like I mean his best friend <laughs> his best friend died at the right at the beginning, you know? Yeah. Start. You know,
0: if it was in black and white, maybe I <laughs> would
1: just a touch more <laughs> noir. I'm a Julia
0: Julia has a closer connection to Rudy for sure. Yeah.
3: I mean, I'm just a sucker for that stuff. I love.
1: Oh, me too. I love a
3: cheese ball movie. I uh, love the music from that movie. The dum 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 dum, whatever. Oh my god! Like that gives me goosebumps
1: when I hear it. Yeah, Yeah,
3: man. I put on the Rudy soundtrack sometimes, just like to do the dishes or something. Just like to (laughs) force myself to get out of bed. Yeah, it's. I love that movie. I. I don't know. I'll always love it. I know it's cheesy, and Notre Dame has a lot of problems, and. I can't forgive sure. can't forgive some of their weirdness, but at the end of the day, good movie.
1: I found myself so apparently uh you know Rudy Rudiger is still around. He's an um,
3: asshole. I've heard he's an asshole.
1: He's funky. He's definitely funky, and I've heard some interviews with him. Let's just say he is unabashedly Rudy Rudiger for like his whole life. Like that's what he's selling, that's what he's pimping, like that's his thing.
3: Respect. But I
1: heard. I heard an interview with Joe Montana Ah. who I guess was a, uh, a freshman on Notre Dame when Rudy had his big moment, you know, when uh, Charles S Dutton, you know, gives him a little love and he gets carried off the field. (laughs) And apparently I listened to an interview of Joe Montana besmirching Rudy saying (laughs) that he was, uh, you know, barely a member of the team. I barely knew this was happening. And there's kind of this strange 50, 50 on like the people he played with some people, are all in and all about this guy and some people are like yeah fuck that guy like don't care at all but i personally found myself kind of like hating joe montana afterwards i'm like i'm like you know Uh. what motherfucker you're the golden boy like you've had everything in your life you know you were like this blonde good-looking quarterback for like 20 years you have super bowls you're and you're, why are you shitting on this guy who had like one great day in his life, you know? Yeah. Kind of, felt, kind of felt cheap.
3: It's just unnecessary. It's like, let the man right. have his moment. It's his exactly. whole life. You got your Super Bowls, you know, you're fine. You're it's fine. It's like
1: Rudy Rudy, you know? Exactly. You got to do that. Yeah. I agree. Um, good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so why does like every Irish person in America sweat Notre Dame's jock so hard? Like, what's the story?
3: Oh man! Well, that's a great question. I I feel like a lot of that shit happened before I was born and before Dave and I were born. I don't know, yeah. like exactly where the myth making happened. Like
0: back when the uniforms looked different.
3: Yeah, when it, when people were still wearing like the leather helmets and shit, um, the floppy right.
0: leather helmets. Yeah, yeah, so much
3: of it has to do with football, honestly, and like still to this football day, football and church. Yeah, right. Exactly.
0: It, it could bring everybody together: football and church, dude. Right?
3: Totally. I mean, I used to when when I was a student, I uh, sang on the in the choir that sang right after the football games. So like, oh, really? all of the people <laughs> would come for it, straight from the stadium to the basilica, and like mass would happen thirty minutes after. Anyway, yeah. Oh that wow! Was,
1: really? So it's like yeah. it literally is tied in with like football being like a semi religious experience like this weekly religious experience almost huh totally it, yeah
3: it felt yeah, like a yeah. ritual almost but That's crazy. yeah i don't know like it was totally a thing in my family my dad went there and a lot of his his siblings went there and like it was just kind of i was raised in the you know cult of <laughs> notre dame but
1: yeah it's, no wonder you love rudy
3: I do. Exactly. Like I am (laughs) all in. But yeah, it's, it's this mysterious, like has this mysterious kind of mystique, like pull on people to this day. Like even last year, God, Notre Dame danced with the devil last year and it was bad and uh, it's really embarrassing, but I don't know. They're still, still got that pull on people, I guess.
1: Yeah. It's pretty wild. Well, come in full circle. So now that we've had some fun, um
0: <laughs> so you know, you're
1: raised in this Notre Dame household in Kentucky and uh you know, I was wondering like if you had run into, you know, growing up there, you know, when you start getting into music and maybe some, you know, alternative um, you know, cultural sort of stuff, what what was it like in your household and did, did you ever have any clash with like Bible Belt values, like, inside your home or in, like, the area you grew up in?
3: Yeah, not really, thankfully. Um, cool. Yeah. My, my parents are both from Ohio. My whole family is very much more Midwestern than Southern. Uh okay. So, I, yeah, I definitely wasn't raised with um, any sort of, like, religious fervor or anything. It was very, my parents were both very, like, Appreciative of the arts. My dad uh, collects like art. He's like a, he collects paintings and such. And oh, cool. My mom was a theater major in college and like uh, kind of an amateur opera singer before she entered the business world. Oh, wow. So, Crazy. yeah. So, like they were both always just very encouraging of uh, whatever we wanted to do. Like, luckily, yeah, very like open minded. And so, yeah, luckily I never really rubbed against that kind of. Like just uh, skepticism or like suspicion of, uh, you know, like leftist artistic (laughs) values, (laughs) which is totally what I was into. So, but at the same time, like I didn't really, I wasn't really exposed to like real alternative culture until, until I met Dave, really like until I left, I just was kind of in my Mm. own little space in my own world. Just, you know, listening to Sophie and Stevens and writing in my bathroom. So, (laughs) right. You know, I was pretty. I was pretty on
1: my own. So that really was like a pretty climactic time for you. I mean, it it sounds like, you know, you you showed up to college, you know, being a musician already, but you hadn't really been too into electric guitar yet. Um, you know, yeah. not too into like the subverse, like. So that must have been a really like impactful time in your life, where where you know went down a different avenue. Like, what did you go to school? imagining you were going to do, like when you showed up?
3: Yeah, I I don't know what, I would be curious to hear Dave's answer too, but like I, I showed up at school planning, hoping to become a sports journalist. That was my goal. Nice. Like Al Michaels, that was like always my goal, just like be in the booth,
2: um, <laughs> yeah. calling a game.
3: But yeah. I didn't know how to get there. I was just excited to, you know, major in English and maybe figure out how to write for the magazine or whatever. So,
1: right, right, um,
3: yeah, I definitely wasn't like trying to start a band or like scoping out who, who would play with. But at the same time, like Dave and I had met on the internet the summer before, cause I noticed, okay. uh, I noticed in his profile picture, he was playing bass and I was like, oh, like that's pretty sick. And, uh, <laughs> in, in my profile picture, I was playing guitar. So he reached there out to me. Yeah, Dave was like, "Hey, we should we should jam when we get to school." I was like, "Okay." I mean, I've never jammed, but I guess I'll say okay. And so,
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, but yeah, so we ended up meeting up right away during freshman orientation, and that kind of changed my whole plan because I was all of a sudden I was like, "Oh fuck!" Like I have a friend who I can play music with whenever I want. Like this is right. This is what I want to do. So it it kind of happened really fast, and I was so stoked. You know,
1: that's awesome.
0: Yeah, how about you, Dave? Yeah, um, well, I went for architecture. Oh, wow. But I, and it was, a, it was a lot of a grind. I mean, I didn't know what to expect either. But yeah, like Julia said, I was kind of the one scoping out to find people to play with. Right, I was right. like the guy who came to college with a electric guitar and an amp. And it, it was actually really surprising that I was actually one of the only people like Who was who was looking to play music together?
1: Oh yeah! Did you imagine Um, like oh I'm going to college? There's going to be like tons of people with guitars and drums. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, and then oh no, people are focused on school and classes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean uh, nerds. No, Julie and I commiserated (laughs) over that a lot. So, but you you um, both
1: ended up finishing school. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. um,
0: Towards the end we we kind of made the decision that we're like, yeah, we should pursue this. Like we don't have
1: forever, you know? Sure. So I mean, I know, you know, you went to Chicago afterwards, but I can't imagine you were, you know, doing the Rap Boys full time yet. Um, what what were you all doing for work and stuff when you got out there? Like were you staying in the professions you studied in school, or were you just kind of making ends meet?
3: Oh man! I uh,
1: making ends meet. Making ends meet for sure.
3: I (laughs) well, okay. I'll just do this. I did like school. Like I was, I studied English, and I really enjoyed like my classes and stuff. But yeah, I like left, and I interviewed at this PR firm downtown in Chicago, and okay, like got this job. I was like an intern, but it was the first job I interviewed for, and I got it. And I was like, oh well. I guess, like, I should just do this, I guess. So, but I hated that job, man. But I will say, so I would do that. And the client that I worked for, the team I was on, was Degree Men Deodorant. Oh, okay. And at that time, they had Steph Curry as their spokesperson. I uh, can remember that, yeah. So this is, like, his first MVP season, like, the first Warriors championship. It was... Awesome, and my job was to cover him like a hawk. Like every day, wow. I had to write oh. up like a report of like what he's doing, uh, basically awesome. just like okay. a press report for him to so wow. the degree knew what he was up to. And it was a great time to be covering him because he was all over the place. And uh, yeah, so I followed his season intensely and really enjoyed that. But still, I was getting paid. Like the rest of that job was so. Uh, It's not my thing, like a lot of office politics and like Mm. just uh, kind of faking enthusiasm for things that I just didn't care about. No offense. So I uh, would kind of be booking tours for us on company time. And eventually I like asked for some time off and they're like, well, you're an intern. We can't give you time off. And I was like, oh, (laughs) well, okay. I'm just not going to come back after Christmas. I'm no
1: longer an intern then. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but but oh. one other thing that I got to tell you, Benny, is that Dave yeah, and I please. both did uh, Instacart for a long oh. ass time. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So that was the big grocery grind every day. Yeah. That's cool.
1: That's what I. Yeah. Je- Jeff Rosenstock and wife were doing that too. To, really? To help, to help get by at some point. Oh yeah. my
3: God. If Jeff Good. showed up with my
1: groceries. Or maybe it was just Christine. I don't know if Jeff did it, but Christine definitely was. Well, Um,
3: I'm imagining Jeff and Christine doing it and just showing up with my groceries, and that would make my day. Jeff
1: would definitely come with a guitar. Just yelling, here's your order. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just like Uh, rocking so hard. Um, did Did you unearth any, like following Steph Curry so closely? I mean, I kind of view him on the outside as like, Really great guy, but one of the most like vanilla motherfuckers in the world. Like, uh. is there anything controversial about Steph Curry?
3: Not that I could find that, right? Yeah, I think He's that clean, was huh? he seems pretty clean to me. That was like from my <laughs> research, that was right when the Drake lyric was happening. I think,
2: oh, like uh-huh. the
3: Chef Curry with the pot, Chef Curry with the shop, whatever.
2: Right, right, so, right, right.
3: that was like the big news. Um. But no, he seems pretty squeaky clean. I don't know. Yeah, it was him and uh, Jimmy Graham was the other guy
1: oh, at the time,
3: okay. and on uh, the
0: Saints, right?
3: At the time, correct, Dave, and yeah. uh-huh. he uh, he was also pretty squeaky clean. He was a pilot. I think they got to choose the squeaky clean guys for degree, <laughs> right? You know, for the
1: PR, <laughs> oh, right?
0: For degree. degrees yeah. covering their their asses,
1: yeah. <laughs> what about you Dave did you get into anything funny went straight out like uh besides for the instacart stuff
0: um well there was like instacart that was a main thing and uh, we were lucky enough to like work that job while it was actually profitable profitable for uh, inter- right. independent contractors sure they, they started you know messing with wages and tips and everything lots of big stuff um I was gonna say though like one of my regrets is, like, we didn't really start touring until, you know, until you're 21, 22, like, out of college. Mm. And, um, you know, started realizing once we met um, more bands and future friends on the road that people have been doing doing this since they were 18. So I feel like right. we, we, we were playing catch-up as far as tour goes. Yeah. Sure. Um, right. But, like, really wanting to do it and really hitting it hard that was um yeah 2015 2016 was uh, a lot of touring and grinding but also like meeting probably some of the most uh influential people in our
1: lives now sure set you on set you on the course you're on yeah
3: yes we left for tour the day after dave graduated college in 2015 wow. yeah
1: Crazy.
3: yeah what <laughs> was
1: that tour what was the first one out of college
3: oh god it was uh the the poster was a guy fieri rat uh we we called it out of bounds tour um it was just like east coast and southeast i think we were just booking okay. shows we with go to- houses like people we knew <laughs> you know
1: sure sure did we go to new orleans on that one
3: yes and that's the yes. time that we uh we found a pothole that was so large and so deep that
2: the
1: f- oh, that four of us, four.
3: all four of us, got in it. And posed.
1: Oh, really? Picture.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: New Very Orleans crazy. is one of the hardest places in the country to do DIY shows. It, it is, is always insane it, for whatever. It was reason. a bad
3: show, dude. We showed yeah, up at like eight. Is. We showed up at eight p.m. and they were like, "Oh, come back in an hour to load in." And I was like, Who? "Yeah, like shit, man."
1: New but, Orleans is uniquely one of those towns I love going to, but don't like playing, you yeah. know? Like, I <laughs> want to go to New Orleans, but I've never had a good show there, I don't think. Yeah, it's very tough. Yeah. But Got to show up with vignettes. Well, speaking of food, <laughs> so you live, you know, obviously in hotly contested ground. What yes. are your general thoughts on Chicago pizza versus the rest of the world's pizza? mm I think it's valid, what? valid and tasty. As, valid as king? <laughs> <laughs>
0: valid as in it is a pizza. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um, I love
0: Chicago pizza, though. Even if you f- eat it with a fork, you know, and sauce, yeah, bread, toppings.
1: Course. Delicious. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's
0: delicious, but I mean once a year for me.
1: Okay, so it's special occasion for you.
0: Yeah.
3: But that's okay. the deep dish. Like...
0: That's a deep dish, to, right? Yeah, we have so many favorite, like regular pizza places around here too.
3: There are different types of pizza in Chicago, which I don't think is talked
1: about enough. Um, well, it's not. I mean, the same way I could go to like Pizzeria Uno in New York City yeah. and get yeah. some version of a deep dish. I'm sure you can get some thin crust too, but it's your specialty pie. What's your if you're gonna get? And now I've heard this contested. And I've been led astray by so many people who work in venues. Uh, <laughs> what is, like, if I'm going to come to town and I'm going to get the, you know, the Chicago slice of pizza, like, like this is what Chicago pizza is supposed to taste like. Where are you going to send me? Probably,
3: uh, there's a place called Art of Pizza that is uh, pretty close to where we recorded uh, our record GN. That studio is no longer there, but Art of Pizza is still there, and okay. you, it's it's awesome because you can get a slice of deep dish there. So you don't yeah, have to. they are
0: one of the only people doing that. Yeah. You don't have
3: to commit. And just as an aside, I would say whether you want deep dish or whether you want like like a Chicago like a tavern style pizza, which is what we eat more often, like squares, like party squares, the
0: square cut, uh, party cut. Right.
3: You, gotta put, you gotta put you gotta put Jardinera on your pizza. That's something you can get nowhere else.
1: Wait, what's that mean?
3: Okay. So
0: it's like a hot pepper pickled condiment. vegetable Ooh. condiment.
3: Yeah. You put it on like an Italian beef sandwich. It's like uh yeah, like hot pickled vegetables. Spicy. Ooh. And uh but you can you can put it on pizza here and it is fucking awesome. <laughs> that sounds nice. Yeah, dude will show you. I'll we'll
1: show you the I way. I thought those little squares, yeah. though, were. I thought the little squares were Detroit style. Now it is. Oh, close.
0: that's like the. Detroit style is like the whole pizza is a square, though.
1: Right.
3: Yeah. but oh, uh,
1: this is just a square slice out of a yes. I see. And it's like oh. cracker. Now, right? now we're speaking the same now language. We're talking. Huh.
3: It's like a cracker crust.
1: Oh, I'm hungry.
3: Yeah, dude.
2: <laughs> <This> <laughs> that's good shit. Yeah.
1: So all right so all this aside um you put out a uh, happy birthday rap boy
2: a yeah. collection
1: of uh what mm-hmm. most mostly old songs and one new songs right um you know i was wondering as you were going into this like uh when you're reapproaching ten year old songs that you've already recorded before like uh what was revealing to you about you know those songs and and did you make any like major changes along the way or did you like keep them in their pure form.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mostly uh no major changes, I would say. Like, a few of the songs we've played live consistently ever since we put them out, like, first put them okay. out 10 years ago. So
0: mm-hmm.
3: those this we stayed had... stayed
0: part of the set,
3: yeah. Yeah. So, like, for those we had, like, a live arrangement to build on, which Got was it. really yeah. easy, actually, because we just went into the studio and played it how we did it in a show. But for the rest of them, yeah, it was like, it was mainly a process of adding stuff because, like, the original recordings were so uh, kind of, like, sparse just because mm-hmm. we didn't, like, we didn't have as many, like, maybe like, ideas or more so just, like, didn't really have the uh, resources or, like, gear to, like, like, we didn't I'm have right a Rhodes, here. like, we didn't have, like, a Rhodes piano back in the day. So, like, Sure. Now we could add that to a song and like, yeah, just kind of tightening everything up and playing it like as a band for the first time was the exciting part of this for me. I don't know. What about, what do you think, Dave? Hmm.
0: Um. Well, yeah, just going into it, I was kind of surprised how easily everything came together. Like one of the big questions um, we had going into it was like, can we kind of capture that, um, uh, you know, haphazard spirit of the first recording. Mm. You know, the kind of thing where you could hear the space bar being clicked in the background. <laughs> right,
1: right, right. Sure.
0: Um but honestly, yeah, we went in and I think we kinda got the same kind of like delicacy and um it was really kinda effortless to play those songs. I think Julia like, you know, maybe you didn't realize it when you were writing them, but you wrote songs that hold up and um we're actually really easy to layer on to rock
1: songs you know
3: that's nice of you to say dave
1: it's sweet so so <laughs> it's more of a matter mm-hmm. of like kind of thickening it up rather than making changes i yeah. think so yeah
3: i think I, so speaking
1: of that i i noticed on the song collected ah. that that we kind of walked right into like a really Really great stoner metal part, kind of, I wasn't expecting to walk into. Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: man.
1: Can I, can I expect a little more of that, like, moving forward?
3: God, I hope so. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> we probably got to get into that for sure.
0: We are always um, influenced by Yes, the band Yes. Oh,
1: fuck yeah, sure. We
0: always um, had the Yes album um, in Julia's car, like, pretty much permanently. It lived okay. in the CD changer. Wow. And... um you know, that record, everything is just kind of built into like, oh, part one, part two, part three, part four, right. like one song has four parts. So we're like, yeah, we got to gotta do the yes thing where we're just going to throw in another part out of left field. Dude, <laughs> and, and uh, the
3: harmonies. That's like the main thing with yes that I love so much is like balls to the wall, harmonies, like full volume. It sounds like a choir, but it's just like the same guy recording over himself a bunch you know it's like yeah yeah i love how that sounds and back when we first recorded collected like we recorded it for a school project of like class i was in and i was inspired by yes and i wanted it to sound like yes and it sounded pretty good but i like always wanted to re-record that song and like make it even fucking heavier and like yeah that yeah. part make it even more ridiculous and i was so that was like one of my bucket list items so i'm so happy we got to do it i'm, I'm happy with how it sounds it's like pretty <laughs> like i recorded like 12 vocal tracks or something i don't <laughs>
1: know it was awesome i love that i mean the combination of it's not what i expected for you guys to reference yes um, uh, so i'm happy to hear like because automatically the mix of your sound and what i know of yes it sounds very tasty to me i think that could be great hell yeah <laughs>
0: Also, to answer your question, I'm I'm just looking over at all my fuzz pedals on the counter, so there will be more parts like that.
1: So you got a little like, is that something newer for you, like digging into to fuzz and kind of getting a bigger sound like that? Um, I wouldn't say new.
0: Well, for me, not really, because I was I kind of listened to a bunch of hardcore music and just a lot of different stuff growing up. Uh, For Julia. Sure, she just got a a new chorus pedal, yeah, but um,
3: I didn't know what guitar pedals were until like <laughs> until like a year into touring. I like yeah i I'm definitely still kind of just learning how I can how truly loud and insane I can sound, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I love being on that path. I'm fully on the path at this point, so it's fun oh, I <laughs> love
1: it. I want to see like ten years from now, I'd love to see. The Rat Boys just going in a, a straight like ISIS pelican kind of direction. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> Let's just Dude, get gloomy. Come I, on.
3: I love the idea of like putting out records and people are just like, oh, fuck, this does not sound like them. But I guess this yeah. is what they're giving us yeah. this time. So, Listen, you know.
1: Pit, Pitchfork likes you all. So you, what you need to do with that is test them, <laughs> you Yes, Yes. Push to test the limit. people. Yeah. You can't keep them comfortable, you know. Yes. Got to make those people (laughs) uncomfortable. Just embrace the chaos, you know? Yeah. Because you know how it is with the, yeah, if they like you now and you even sound remotely the same the next record, you're going into the fives, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Just because, just just, because, you know? So, but if you take a bold direction into stoner metal, someone will go, oh, this is so innovative, you know? Like, it'll be, yeah, man. It'll be good. I love that. I remember
0: I'm running into um, Russian circles at the Canadian border once, so maybe we could uh, we could collab on a record. I mean, they.
3: I think we were all just miserable, and I don't think they knew who. I don't think they would remember that at all. But that was awesome Hmm. to see a band at the border and be like, "What up?" Like this sucks.
1: (laughs) Hard place to run into a band and have like a cool conversation. Yeah, truly. I always feel so strange at the border. Like, I know, like, there's no sign or anything, like, no talking, you know? (laughs) But, like, anytime I'm in there, I always feel, like, just so uncomfortable, like, talking to my bandmates or, like, making a joke or something. I'm, like, I'm being watched and judged. And, like, the more comically I take this process, like, the longer they're going to keep me here, you know? Yeah. get that feeling when you're there. Totally. Yeah, even with small talk.
0: Yeah. yeah, Don't want to arouse any suspicion.
1: That's right. Then they'll. But in a normal
0: situation, yeah, staying still and perfectly quiet might arouse suspicion.
1: (laughs) I always have this weird instinct, and I've gotten in trouble from my bands before because I've had a lot of run-ins with cops over the years. So at this point, my instinct is like, if you act really normal you're less suspicious, you know, like yeah. if you just kind of act like super normal and casual, like you've been there, you got nothing to worry about, but other people that seems to make other people I'm with really uncomfortable. Ah. So I've had to pull that back, you know, Yeah, that, that,
0: that's the emotional intelligence you're talking about.
1: That's right. That's right. You got, if you went too far, your band might, might not even make it out of the border. Um, <laughs> So, got to do what you got to, to do to cross it. country lines. That's right. So, Julia, you know, you studied journalism. Are, are you a are you a big reader?
3: Um, not as much as I used to be. I should be. You know, I uh, <laughs> I tend these days to read like a uh, a lot of Wikipedia articles and like long form digital journalism, but. Haven't read a novel in a while,
0: so
1: should I think? Th- I think that is the new novel. Um, do you have a uh, like a favorite contemporary author or like a favorite all time author that you kind of go to?
3: Hmm. Well, recently, the most recent contemporary author that I read, who I really do enjoy, but it—I uh, don't remember when we were talking about this in the conversation, but definitely kind of need to be in the mood for it—is a. Uh, Miriam Taves she's she's Canadian actually um and she comes from like a like a Methodist like conservative culture in uh Winnipeg or just outside of I think but anyways she writes these like beautiful soul-crushing you know fiction novels about kind of that culture and like breaking out of it and my my sister turned me on to it and it's it's really, really, like, emo. Like, it's like the most emo fiction I've read, but it is very beautiful, you know?
1: Awesome. And yeah. what about, like, a classic author? Ooh. Um, I heard you tell a funny story about Walt Whitman.
3: Oh, <laughs> God, yeah, man. What a, what a crazy life that man had. I. That's
1: great. Can you actually, I know this is, listen, we're going off track. I'm happy. It's the name yeah. of the podcast, but... I heard you tell a really insane story about, like, Walt Whitman and a death mask. Yeah, Um, dude. And can you you give me, like, the quick synopsis on that insane tale?
3: Yes, I will try to make it quick. So Walt Whitman was, like, 13 or whatever, living in Brooklyn, and he was interning, apprenticing, essentially, at a print shop. And back then, they would call the printer's apprentice a printer's devil, which is where the name of the record came from. Oh, really?
2: Oh, Yeah. Cool.
3: So um, the guy he was working for, his boss was like very eccentric. And this guy, Walt Whitman's boss, was obsessed with a radical Quaker theologian named Elias Hicks, who uh, had already died, but a lot of his teachings and quotes and such lived on. And so this uh, Walt Whitman's boss, I don't know that guy's name, was so obsessed with the uh, you know, Elias Hicks and his teachings that he recruited Walt Whitman and maybe another apprentice to sneak into the cemetery at night, dig up this guy's grave and hopefully make a death mask of his face, basically like put some plaster (laughs) on this dude's corpse just so that he could have like, you know, a physical like memento of this man that he was so obsessed with. And uh, they got caught. And I believe the print shop was forced to close. It was like a big scandal. Um, But Walt Whitman, I don't know if he ever even talked about that. But in my mind, I was like, fuck, that must have been such a crazy thing for like a teenage, like aspiring poet or like wordsmith to just experience. Like what a strange time. Yeah. Wow. That's
1: wild. And that's where you got the name of the album from. That's great.
3: Yeah, the name of the song. Like The idea for the song was Walt Whitman, right, yeah. if he's a like a printer's apprentice, kind of like his main job would be to test the ink. Um, so he'd have to put down little phrases, little, maybe, in my mind, maybe he, that's where he first started putting down little lines of poetry just to have something there to test the ink, like some placeholder words. Right. And in my mind, it was like, oh, well, maybe he would have put down some of these phrases that his boss was talking about all the time with Elias Hicks. And so a lot of the lyrics in that song are like direct quotations of that Elias Hicks guy. Um, yeah. That was a big Wikipedia rabbit hole. That was a whole day for me. And that was awesome. Like,
1: <laughs> it was so sick. I'd like, I'd like you to know I am the type that is currently on the Elias Hicks Wikipedia page after yeah, you said man. it. Get it. <laughs> and I am definitely going to dig into this because even I'm on a quick glance here a i like the fact that he's from long island there you go and walt whitman was from long island that's kind of like a local thing but this this man seemed really subversive for the time radical I mean, like, totally radical yeah, anti-anti-slavery mm-hmm. activism uh yeah you know and this is in 1778 so um yeah i could see why whitman was or i guess his boss was attracted to it yeah it's <laughs> cool man who knows like uh i guess you know in order to write a you know, something like leaves the grass, you need a deep understanding of all walks of life, right? So maybe this is That's an a interesting great way to put it. it.
3: That's a great way yeah. to put
1: it. That's awesome. I was wondering, you know, because I had a very been listening to a lot of Rap Boys the last couple days and came away with a very nice feeling when I listened to your music and usually pretty introspective. And I was wondering, what do you want people to do? Like, you finish a Rap Boys record, you sit back. What do you want people to feel? Like, what do you want people to think? Like, what's your intention, and what would you want people to come away with? Mm.
0: Oh, I mean, exactly what you described there. I uh, I love when people just come to their own conclusions about mm. the music and the art they consume. Um, and. I love when people like compare those thoughts to somebody else who listened to the same record and are like, "Oh, I got themes of, you know, this and loneliness and and somebody else is like, "Oh, well, I got like this other kind of through line going through." I think it's important to uh kind of have have the time to digest it on your own. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense.
3: That's a really good question. I honestly Feel like maybe subconsciously I've thought about these things, but I've never really, never really like spoken to that. Um, I think something that's coming to my mind is like it would be really nice if people feel like they've been like, like heard somehow. And I don't really know how that works because it's kind of the opposite. I'm like, kind of telling my experiences or sharing some mm-hmm. sort of truth that's coming from me, but.
2: Right, if there's right. any
3: way that people could feel, like, uh, just, like, whole or just, like, kind of seen and heard after they listen to our music. Not even in, like, a profound, like, philosophical way or anything. Just, like, feel a little bit more, like, uh, I don't know, like, just themselves. Like relatable. Yeah, just, just feeling, well, the first thing I got to say this. God, I hope people don't get bored. That's, like... The main goal is
2: sure one yeah. of have people
3: feel like, yeah, like that was a cool right. you know, like that was exciting or that was worth my time. but yeah, I think God, there's something that I'll kind of have to keep working toward is just uh I don't know making people feel like more alive, I guess is kind of the goal.
1: yeah, okay, that's awesome. well, the direction is stoner metal is the perfect yeah way
3: man. Go.
0: Good call.
1: call. Acoustic stoner, metal. Julia, Dave, (laughs) appreciate you taking all this time for us. That was fun. And I've uh, really enjoyed digging into your tunes a lot the last week. I've listened to you all and gotten into it previously, but I I hadn't dug in this deep. And it's it's really cool stuff. I really appreciate what you're doing and look forward to, to everything you come up with.
3: Thank you so much. Thanks for yeah. yeah thank thanks you. for appreciate digging you. in. Thanks for uh, inviting us on the show. I've really we've really been looking forward to it. So uh, awesome. Yeah, we wow. we appreciate you.
1: We're flattered. Great. We'll have a beautiful uh, Chicago spring, and hopefully, I'll see you soon.
3: Yo, same to you. New Jersey spring, Manhattan spring, and uh, <laughs> yeah, hope to cross paths.
1: All right. Oh, Brad! Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah! <laughs> you ever want to talk like you're from the Midwest when you That's... get off? <laughs> oh, yeah! Real good then. <laughs> you mean from how's Canada? the Radisson? <laughs> it's reasonable. <laughs> I just...
4: uh, you te- what is that? You going from Wisconsin there?
1: Was that was Fargo. That was a, a quote directly from Fargo from the film. I uh, haven't seen it in um, so long. Well, that was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Another one of these bands that really like timing-wise got I mean, <sighs> dude, that come record on. your record comes out literally February 28th, 2020, like a week before Rudy Gobert day. That's tough. And it's it's I mean, Printer's
4: Devil is the is was the one that came, the recent most recent record, right?
1: Uh, yeah, well, they did the re-release recently, but yeah, it was the last, like...
4: Because that record is so good, like... Yeah. <laughs> and I think it, like, also got really well-received. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're talking about those fucking jokers over it.
1: I just, yeah, it's what what all these bands are going to have to balance doing now, is like, okay, we took two years, you've all known the record this long, like, once we get back on the road, are we touring this record? Are we touring a new record? Do we have to write a new record to tour? Like, you know, I think, you know? like, if you think about
4: how it works, like, it could actually, for these bands, could kind of work in their favor because, you know, like, I mean, obviously, they haven't been around. They don't have... I mean, well, they have been around for a while. They got yeah, a I few remember. more records. But, you know, like, you release a new record and then you tour it, and people w- really want to hear the old stuff, probably, you know, for the most part. Mm. So oh, maybe so- now, you know, you they release these... You, all these bands have released records before the pandemic and haven't had a chance to tour them, but people have been listening to them. And now those are the, that's that's the record they're going to want to hear.
1: That's true. Yeah. You you won't, but maybe the, uh, the opposite happens internally for the band where you're like, you know, know, one of the most fun things is to go out and play your new songs and tour.
4: Right.
1: You know, but now if they're like two years old, you're starting to get kind of bored of them. Yeah. But think about this. Think
4: about like just playing, your fucking new songs in front of your iPhone to nobody, (laughs) you know, on like a stream and then all of a sudden doing them in front of an audience, like you'll fucking have an orgasm.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. Yeah. This could pan out. Well, I hope it does. They saw, they have, you know, like everybody's trying, you know, piecing together dates in like 2022. I'm really starting to feel bad for bands now because, I mean if you're a you know a headlining level band looking to like you know start to reserve some venues for shows I mean you're already like a year and a half out so if you're a band who like wants to err on the side of caution and uh you know wants to take it slow to make sure people are safe you're kind of screwing yourself until 2023 yeah. and I just Spoke to an artist friend of mine who works in galleries and stuff. Apparently the same thing's going on in the art world where, you know, um, everybody had these galleries and things that were ready to go. Everything got pushed back a year. So now there's just this like glut where there's not enough places to show and people can't have their galleries. So,
4: You know, I'll say though that here in New York where we have all this, we've got a really bad vacancy rate on commercial real estate here. there's mm. There is a lot of pop-up. Galleries happening all over the place. That's nice because there's a lot of empty storefronts.
1: Well, maybe that's the future, right? It's kind of this pop-up model, like like having a brick-and-mortar gallery and actually paying rent even when you're not having exhibits every month. Maybe doesn't make sense anymore, but renting out a storefront for a couple months. And I mean, you if you know, think it's about it, reasonable.
4: It kind of works with the model. I mean, because you put up a show, it stays up for a month or two, right? So like yeah. switching locations every time you switch shows could actually work to your benefit, you know? If you need a larger space for a particular artist, you find a larger space.
1: That's true. Hope. I hope it works out that way. Hope. Brad, when you were a young <laughs> when you were a young white kid in Massachusetts, you must have had some level of Notre Dame gear at some point, right?
4: Oh, so you know, I was born in Indiana. Oh, okay. I so have definitely did. I have family that went to Notre Dame. i I used to have like uh, what did I have? I don't know. I had some Notre Dame like tchotchkes and stuff because I had I think two of my uncles went to Notre Dame.
1: so crazy. I this little just like Catholic college in Indiana became this like, you know, mm. became something like that. the Irish. <laughs> people are wild. people are wild. It is pretty weird. I had no history with Notre Dame. My dad used to tell me about the the CCNY college basketball team who took on Adolph Rupp's Kentucky team and like shit like that. Right. So I was being read, bred with like CCNY basketball, not Notre Dame. <laughs> but yo, fuck Joe Montana.
4: Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Come
1: on. What is that? <laughs> I'm really mad about that. I heard that story like two years ago. And I think about it probably like once a week and in my head, just go like, you know what? Fuck Joe Montana. I don't even care if Rudy's a dick. You know? I don't. I don't. Yeah, you are probably should have like, kept
4: his mouth shut, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just, don't aim down, man. You know? Don't aim down. Like, why don't you say something about Jerry Rice? Something with some real, you know, real implications for your life. Do you think Joe Montana is listening 90 minutes in to the Rat Boys Going <laughs> Off <on> Track episode? <laughs> Like, if I got a tweet from Joe <laughs> Montana calling me a fucking asshole, my first reaction would be like, wow, Joe Montana listens to Going <laughs> Off Track in 90 minutes. Not only listen to the Rap Boys episode, but the made outro. it to the outro. The outro. You know? Good for you, Joe. Well,
4: <laughs> listen, uh, I really do like that. That latest record of theirs, I think. Yeah, me too. it's It's a really pleasant, I just, it's sonically, it's the kind of stuff I really, I like to hear. And you should listen to that. You should follow the band, at Rat Boys Band on Twitter and Instagram, Rat Boys Music of Facebook. Follow us, Going Off Track everywhere. Leave us a nice review on iTunes. Go to our patreon.com slash goingofftrack and see what you can, see if you want to become a, a patron, join the team, join our basketball team.
1: Oh, point guard, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in this week. Thanks to uh, Julie and Dave from the Rat Boys. Can't wait to see them and hear more. And uh, everybody love everybody out there. And watch out for the earth. It's coming to get you. <laughs>